Thank you, Don. Well, good morning, everyone. I, uh, as Don had mentioned, we're in a series called Four Stories, and it's an attempt to try to take a, as honest a look as we can and have conversations around uh, the church, gospel, and racism. And so we've been trying to have some frank conversations and see what the Word of God has for us uh, in that. Uh, today, we have the privilege of just hearing from Dallas Pelly, and Dallas is, as I mentioned earlier, he's on this, the advisory team for this uh, series. And I really believe that God has uniquely positioned Dallas uh, in our church, actually, and within this conversation. Uh, Dallas is a person of peace in this conversation. He's a bridge builder. And uh, I would say that he's a, a cultural interpreter as he interprets in various directions in this conversation. And uh, Dallas, one of the things I've appreciated so much about you is that you've been so patient in what I would say is God's calling on your life in this area. And, God, and Dallas has just been really patient in terms of waiting for invitation and God's inviting uh, to speak, but he's never pushed God's timing on that. So as I mentioned last week, I, I invited Dallas to preach in this series and to take the platform and to share with you, but uh, he asked me this week if I would share the platform with him, and he asked if I would do this more of an interview format. And so I said I would gladly uh, do that. And so I want to just pose some questions to Dallas and kind of guide through the conversation that he and I have worked on together this week. And then uh, Chandra is going to be uh, also taking questions for Dallas, again, with the, the text that you can give on the phone number that is there. Uh, and you can text those to Chandra, and then she will guide further conversation later in the service for questions that you might have. So Dallas, welcome here. Why don't you just introduce us a little bit to yourself and also to your family? Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and I'm so excited uh, to be sharing today. Uh, a little bit about me, uh, an indigenous man. Um, my dad is from Beardies and Okamasis, which is about an hour north of here. And my mom is from Cody First Nation, which is, uh, actually I'm not going to point, I'm going to point with my lips, so it's way over there. Um, closer to Yorktonish area. So um, I have a family. We just added our third boy. Uh, I don't know if there's a picture or what will be a picture. Uh, but we have uh, three sons, Oakland, who's five, uh, Emmett, who's two, and then Denver, who's uh, a ripe three weeks old. So uh, very excited uh, time in our life. Yeah. Very exciting time in our life to, uh, to have a new baby. And uh, yeah, we've been members here for a uh, better part of a decade, I'd say. So Dallas, tell us a little bit about, you, you've been part, you and Shalise have been part of our church for a long time. And... Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about why you feel particularly called to this church and, and what that's like, uh, being an indigenous man in a largely white church. Hmm. I'd say I originally started coming to this church because of the amazing orange pews, but <laughs> they're not here anymore, so I can't say that. Uh, but no, I, uh, to be honest, my wife and I started coming here about 10 years ago, and uh, there's been times where I've questioned, you know, why uh, would I come to a church where maybe I'm the only or one of few indigenous people, and uh, I, I think for me, um, I feel a certain sense of call uh, to this church. Um, I, I love uh, walking out life with, uh, with you and my family, and uh, there's just been moments where I've just been appreciative so much of calling this my home, and so um, I love it here, and I uh, couldn't imagine being anywhere else. That's awesome. Well, uh, Dallas, last year at our council retreat, uh, and every year our, our, our staff and our council have a retreat where we do different things, and last year we were greatly impacted. You were a part of that retreat together with your mom and your aunt, your mom Donna and your aunt Judy, 
Um, and they are residential school survivors. And so part of this retreat for us as leaders was to just hear stories and to gain understanding. And we have a picture here of, that's your mom in the middle there, Donna, and your Aunt Judy on the, on the right. And uh, what I so appreciate, I know for those of us who were there last, last fall at about this time, was just the posture of your mom and your aunt and also you, of just no judgment. I just don't want any judgment or condemnation. Just, just hear the story. And they were so gracious uh, in that, in, in sharing that story. But, but with your mom and your, uh, and your aunt, Dallas, being part of the residential school situation and being survivors of that, what's some of the, the broader impact of that 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 has had on your family? And uh, also, what was the impact of that last year of just sharing your story? I know you've done that other places like Source Saskatchewan, but talk a little bit also about the impact for you of just sharing your story and doing that together with some of your family as well. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, like you said, both my mom, my auntie, and quite a few of my relatives are residential school survivors. Um, wasn't that long ago that there were residential schools in this neck of the woods. Uh, the last residential school actually closed in 1996 and Gordon uh, Indian Reserve here in Saskatchewan. Uh, we didn't grow up uh, talking about residential school in my family. Uh, I, it wasn't until I was uh, really an adult uh, this conversation was brought forth uh, uh, in society and then with my family. And so understanding that impact it had on my mom was, uh, uh, was uh, quite critical, I guess, in my understanding of maybe some of my upbringing. Uh, in terms of bridging that to my faith, um, it was such an amazing moment that you see here on the screen um, where we started uh, asking ourselves this era of truth and reconciliation. Uh, how do we as a church, how do we as a church body respond? You know, surely if the church had a role in this uh, atrocious part of our history, surely we have a role in this healing journey that we're on. And so uh, it was with great humility that I asked my mom to come and to join our church um, at Source Saskatchewan as well as uh, at a council retreat to share, to share the story. And Bruce, like you said, there was that uh, posture of, you know, we're, we're not trying to make anyone feel bad here. Uh, we're, we're just trying to tell our story because this is something that, that we feel um, to be able to tell. And so for, for my family and for me, it's been uh, a healing journey to um, bring uh, that conversation further along uh, in our church that I think is so needed uh, that we, we can heal together. Um, I know with my mom, she has appreciated so much the opportunity to share. Um, although she doesn't share the same faith as me, she has come willingly and appreciates so much the body that I belong to and the family that uh, you all represent in my life. And uh, I think that part of the healing for her was seeing that uh, in that context of, of us welcoming uh, that message and, and that word. And so uh, to say impactful is an understatement in my family. Uh, it's been part of my healing, uh, our healing together as a family to share those stories. Great. So one of the things that we did in that setting last year was we did a blanket exercise. And I know some people are confused with that. They, they think it's maybe a, it's a First Nations or Indigenous ceremony, which it actually isn't at all. It, it was actually started by an organization called Kairos, and uh, it's what I would call a participatory historical uh, workshop is really what it is. And I know that your mom had said that she had never participated right. in one before. So she was actually an observer watching it. Yeah. And she said that it was actually quite impactful for her. Yeah. How would you describe the blanket exercise, Dallas? Just as you said, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I've also heard that. It's like, it's, is this a ceremony? Like, do I have to come dressed a certain way? It's like, no, like it's, 
It's a, it's a learning experience. It's a teaching tool. Uh, people will get like scripts or cards that you read, and some people would be like in the role of uh, European or settler. Some people might be the role of indigenous, and you're just going through the narrative um, uh, of colonization, and you're going through and sort of understand uh, certain uh, historical moments or frameworks for this conversation. So it really is amazing if you've ever had a chance to to experience the blanket exercise. I would say go without reservation and and uh, and learn a little bit, um, as I have many times. Yeah, I've encouraged people to participate in that as well. Uh, Dallas led it together with uh, Lloyd Leckerman uh, from Manitoba. They led us through, and the, and the blankets are actual physical blankets on the floor that you stand on, and they represent land, and they move around, and they, they, we do different things with the blankets. So that's the nature of that. So I just really encourage you to participate in one of those if you have the opportunity. Well, Dallas, we've been looking at uh, Ephesians in particular, and we've been talking about our stories in the context of God's, God's bigger story, because... God's story is the story that gives a context and a framework for all of our experiences and all of our stories. And so, question for you, what is a part of God's story that really inspires you and guides you in this conversation about church, gospel, and racism? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think uh, you mentioned this in an earlier uh, sermon uh, in this series of the, uh, uh, in a, uh, the picture in Revelation of every tribe, every tongue every nation. And I think there was an era in my life where uh, I thought I had to give up being indigenous uh, to, to go to heaven, uh, to, to make it in this Christian world. I had to not be native and, and, and put away some of those things. And, and really, there was this moment, my eyes opening up, where I saw there's actually a place for a Soto man um, in heaven and for Soto words in heaven. And so I've named my kids, uh, all their middle names are indigenous names, uh, and I think that's so beautiful that I'm re trying to reclaim that part of my, my history and my culture. Um, I think uh, in this conversation, uh, there's a lot of fear. I have a lot of fear. Uh, I'm sure some of you have experienced that fear, trepidation of how do I even start this conversation. And, and one of the promises that I've, I've held on to truly is uh, that verse in Romans where it's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I would just ask that we would all hold on to that promise as we venture and we walk in this road together that uh, there is no condemnation. That, uh, as Bruce said, uh, this posture that my family has gifted uh, in their stories is not of condemnation. It's, it's actually inviting um, to heal together in this healing journey. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. But uh, just to say that uh, we, we don't have to be fearful. That's it. Yeah, thank you, Dallas. Um, well, getting into the topic of racism specifically for a few moments, um, in this series we've talked about different definitions. We've talked about the fact that there's this sort of this uh, individual aspect of it where there's a personal prejudice or hatred of someone of a different race. We've talked about the fact that there is also some, uh, like a broader sociological view of it in terms of how it impacts our culture and society. And so another definition was a racialized systemic and structural system that organizes our society. Uh, George Ancy, he talked about institutional racism in this way. He said, institutional forces that have a negative impact on racial minorities, regardless of the personal intentions connected to the shaping of those institutions. And so we've looked at a number of those different things. And, and residential schools give us an example of some of that institutional or systemic uh, experience in a dark chapter in our Canadian history. 
We've also talked about the idea and the importance of avoiding the extremes in this, that it's not helpful to go to one extreme of denying that any systemic racism exists, but it's also not helpful to go to the other extreme where we see systemic racism everywhere, and, and that every case and instance of something is connected uh, to that. And so we're trying to find our way uh, in the middle of that. But Dallas, when you think about this, uh, how does this look in our Canadian culture from your vantage point, and where are you hopeful uh, in terms of what you see is happening? Hmm. Um, so in terms of the, the topic of racism in our Canadian church context, I'll start personally. Uh, so personally, um, I don't say this to, to garner some sympathy points, but I've definitely experienced racism my entire life. Um, I grew up uh, as a young brown boy in many cities across Canada. My mom and I and my brother moved from Saskatoon, Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, both of my reserves, North Battleford, and that was all before uh, grade eight when we settled in Saskatoon. And uh, in each and every one of those places, I, I remember uh, not wanting to be brown, wishing I could fit in, um, wa uh, wanting so much to just uh, not have my brown skin and my identity uh, be that stripped away. Thankfully, that's not my view uh, anymore. Um, and uh, I have found uh, healing in, in being proud of who I am as an indigenous man, a Soto man. Um, so from the individual to, uh, I guess, the systems, uh, you asked, where are you hopeful? And I have to be honest with you, Bruce, and, and our churches, sometimes I'm, I'm, I find it very hard to be hopeful uh, in this conversation. Um, I can think back specifically to a moment where I felt, okay, there's this reconciliation piece happening and we're moving as a society and even as a church, and then something stops in my tracks. And, I, and one of those moments was when, uh, tragically, a, a young Indigenous man was, was shot and killed here right in the prairies. Uh, his name was Colton Bushi. And I remember uh, just feeling the sense of despair and, and not wanting to to be in a church of predominantly white people and, and just holding out and saying, no, there are no more, no more uh, indigenous lives uh, can be spared here, and being so angry at what was happening here uh, in the prairies. Um, I can think of, uh, as we go on from that moment in my learning, think of the injustices uh, in, in our healthcare system, in our, in our justice system, in our education system. Uh, that recently, or even now, the, the Canadian government has been uh, fighting a human rights tribunal that has basically proved that Indigenous children are being discriminated against and they're not being given the same opportunity as any other Canadian child. And so, see, these are the things that don't give me much hope, and i got to be honest with you, it's, it's hard uh, to have hope in what seems like a hopeless system for my indigenous brothers and sisters. What does give me hope um, is this, is conversations, uh, conversations that bring us towards education and education that can help us uh, towards healing. Um, I remember uh, even recently when the Black Lives Matter uh, movement uh, took place, obviously there are issues in the States that obviously still I think transpose here in Canada and um, I remember as an indigenous man just feeling so heavy, um, saying, thinking, you know, what's, what's happening here in our society? How, how can we, even as a, as a man of faith, how can I move forward in a good way? 
And one of these uh, hopeful moments came in a conversation with a fellow brother uh, in Christ. Uh, And I won't say his name because I haven't given permission, but uh, a guy my age, a family man, who just calls me out of the blue, and and I'm feeling so hopeless. And he just calls me and he says, Dallas, I... I don't know what's going on in our, in our world here, but I want to say that I, I, I just want to reach out. And there wasn't really an ask. It was just he understood as a non-Indigenous, as a, as a white man, that there was something wrong, and he wanted to reach out in relationship and say, uh, I, I want to stand shoulder to shoulder with you. I want to raise families well together, and I, don't think some, I think something's missing here. And that moment just gave me so much hope, not that this person had all the right, right answers or knew what to say specifically, but, but that he called and that he was willing to, to step forward in relationship and say, I don't know everything, but let's move forward together uh, in, in a good way. Um, another moment recently that, that brought me so much hope, uh, talk about uh, systemic uh, injustices, uh, but one thing that happened really recently was my son being born in the hospital and uh, there was this moment where an indigenous birth worker came who actually works for the health region and they offered uh, a smudge. And, uh, and I was very taken aback because it's, it's a hospital, like what's gonna happen with the smoke, all that stuff. And they said, you know, actually we've, we've decided as a hospital that we're gonna, we're gonna allow this, this uh, culture, cultural component piece to take place and we're gonna make allowances to come and take out the smoke alarm and, and have that as part of the birth. And so it was so beautiful that when my last son was born that we could actually integrate part of our culture, part of my teaching, uh, ancestral teachings, uh, into that birthing room uh, that we are able to smudge and pray to, to Yahweh, to Jesus, uh, in that room and, and give thanks for the many blessings in our life. And so uh, there is so much hope. Uh, this conversation gives me hope. Uh, I was so hopeful when I remember turning on the series and seeing, even just seeing the word racism as crazy as that seems for a church um, to, to start this conversation. Uh, and Bruce, I'm, su- I'm sure you just feel so woefully inadequate to, to talk about this, but just even us moving forward and acknowledging and understanding gives me as an indigenous man hope, and I, and I hope that you all find hope in this conversation as we move forward uh, together. That's really good. No, and I, I appreciate you sharing so honestly, Dallas, about where you see hope and also where it's still really hard. Um, the, the, the stories that you gave examples of, like even the individual stories, and we're going to get to real practical stuff in, in just a few minutes, a little bit later, but, you know, it, it just reminds me of just how simple it is, and sometimes we can get overwhelmed with the, the bigger pictures, and it can immobilize us, but it really just starts, it can start with as simple as one conversation, and, and just hearing somebody's story, and connecting in the way that a friend connected uh, with you. Now, Dallas, in 2012, you went down uh, with one of our teams to Panama, and I know that this was very impactful for you. And it was part of even for you what helped you to understand and think about things such as how do you take some of your cultural heritage and how can they be redeemed in some ways or used in, in terms of your Christian faith and so on. And so I know there's lots of things going on for you in that setting in 2012. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that story and what impacted you the most? Well, first, uh, I want to say thank you for a church that sends um, this was, uh, now I have a couple gray hairs here. I feel like I've got some wisdom. But maybe in 2012, I wasn't as wise as I am now. And somehow this church decided that you were going to send me uh, to another country and, uh, and equip me as a leader. So thank you so much for that. Uh, we got to go as part of uh, a team called Action, which was a six-week 
uh, missions trip uh, mobilization through what was formerly known as MV Mission, but now known as Multiply. And my wife and I led a team of young adults there. There were six of us. And uh, one of the amazing things that happened when we were down in Panama uh, was we were getting into some of the indigenous uh, villages there. So the, the Waunan is one of seven, I believe, indigenous tribes in Panama. And so there we are with, with, with uh, indigenous brothers and sisters. And somehow they find out I'm indigenous. And so they come clamoring to me, like, Dallas, you're indigenous. We did not know, like, thought you were maybe Hispanic or Samoan or something. Kind of looked like Maui, the demigod. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but something's different about you, man. No. So uh, I said, yes. And they said, well, listen, we, we've gifted you our, our, our dance. Uh, we've tattooed you as some of you maybe even taken uh, part in that. Can you teach us about your, can you even tell us a greeting or, or, or say something in your language? And truthfully, I couldn't. I was like, ah, I don't know. And it was, it was a point of shame where I felt like I didn't know. And so um, this was so funny. This was one of the, uh, in the sweltering summer uh, heat uh, down in this village in Panama where we were uh, praising and worshiping Jesus. And, then, and they brought me up and they said, after giving us, showing us their cultural dance, they said, why don't you come in and, and teach us your dance? And so, guys, I just... I full disclaimer here, I do not sing powwow music. I don't know how to sing powwow music. I, I wouldn't even pretend right now to, to try to, to do that, but they put me on the spot. So there I am, like, yeah, and I got, like, it would have looked racist for all of you to be like, Dallas, shut it down, shut it down. <laughs> Turn the camcorders off, because no one can see this. But here I am, like, just making a mockery. But it was so beautiful, uh, this moment where I was able to share my culture um, I think Forest Grove, uh, talking about hope, one of the hopes that I have in this conversation is that Forest Grove, I believe, uh, that the Holy Spirit has uniquely uh, positioned us, anointed us for this good work. And I see that specifically with our relationship with the indigenous, with the Waunan in Panama, that for years we go down there and we, we are invited to participate in a relationship and, and, and we, we get gifted these ceremonial, these cultural uh, teachings, tattoos, dances. Uh, and somehow these well none have in integrated these cultural components into their faith. And they've done that in a way that's authentic, that isn't, um, you know, a cop-out or, or less than or watered-down version. But it's an authentic expression of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that gives me hope uh, that we as a church uh, have participated and have that relationship, and are, and are continuing that work. And so uh, that was uh, what's impacted me the most. No, that's great. And I know uh, Dallas and I were talking about this earlier this week, and, and uh, I know there was a group of us, there were six of us, leadership from the church, that were down in Panama in 2018, just a, a year and a half or two years ago now, I guess. And we were meeting with the indigenous leaders there, and they had a, they had a church service, and afterwards they, they did this uh, indigenous Waunan dance around us as the six of us, and we weren't sure what to make of that. And then afterwards, the Alina and other, some of the other women who are part of that, they said, you know what, this is the first time we've done this dance in this way, in a Christian setting, and we feel like we're redeeming this for the kingdom of God, and we're using this now to His glory. And, and it was really powerful, and they've done a lot of deep thinking about that, about how they do that. And I know Dallas is also one who is 
He was very thoughtful around that, and I encourage you to follow up with any conversations with Dallas about that. He thinks about that very significantly and uh, is a good thinker on those things. How do you do that? And I know that that was impactful for you, uh, as you said, during that time. Well, Dallas, uh, let's get really practical for a minute. Uh, One of the things that people have been asking for and even some of the questions that were submitted last week and in other weeks have been really practical. And so here were some questions that were submitted. So Dallas, what can we do? We hear a lot about the hurt and the scars in the indigenous community. What can we do? You know, for instance, how do we acknowledge the oppression and injustices of the past, like residential schools, and yet not, not get stuck there? How do we move forward if we as individuals today were neither the oppressor nor the oppressed? Um, Also, reconciliation is such a buzzword, but how does this practically look like at the micro and individual level? What can we do as individuals to engage in reconciliation? So there's just a few questions around the practical side of things. Yeah, so um, in terms of this uh, thing called reconciliation, um, there was something that was gifted to us, which was the TRC, or the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, which uh, basically outlined all of these calls to action. So I think about this, like, what do we do next? There is sort of these 94, like, prescribed calls to action. But at one time I heard an elder say, you know, th- these are really good, um, and these are really well thought out, but sometimes we can get bogged down in these specific calls, and maybe we just need a specific call to ourselves. What is my uh, call to action going to be? You know, I've, I've heard this, I've learned. Maybe you've uh, listened to something, and you're like, okay, well, what do I do? And I just uh, implore all of us to, to move forward. Uh, and take a step towards reconciliation. What does that look like? How do I do that, you know? Uh, one thing that I, I, I want to make clear is that there is uh, no better time to be doing this than now, um, that we live uh, in a place where the majority, I guess, of residential school survivors exist. There's always uh, things happening in our library, uh, in, uh, in our public uh, spaces that acknowledge not just these histories, but of uh, some of the celebration as well. Uh, one of the practical steps I'd say is use your library card. The Saskatoon Public Library has done an amazing, amazing job at compiling uh, resources specifically on the topic of reconciliation. Um, another practical I would say is, is to find your people, find your crew. Don't go at this work alone. Uh, I know it's hard to, to wanna maybe even reach out in that place of weakness, um, but uh, it, as it says in his word, is that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And I think that as we band together in this crazy, crazy thing, uh, that we can actually find others in that sense, in that posture of humility and say, I don't know all the right words. I don't even know if I'm saying this right or what do I, call, do I say First Nations? I don't know. But can we just go, can we just, can we just do this together? And maybe we don't know all the right words, but maybe we'll just pray together once a week. About, about this, or maybe we will attend this event together, or maybe we will read this book together. These are the ways I think that we can start moving forward. Um, I think uh, being a conversation starter, certainly uh, one of those steps. I love that one of our core values as Forest Grove is risk-taking obedience. And sometimes I wish it was just obedience, that we just could obey, and it wasn't a risk-taking, like who put that in there? Um, but this is risky stuff. No doubt, this is, uh, this is risky business in terms of maybe um, calling out um, an offhanded comment and saying, you know what, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that fits. Um, be a conversation starter. Use your Thanksgiving dinner to, to start a conversation. You know, I heard this Indigenous guy talk about these things. What do you think about that? 
and I, and I encourage you to, to be that conversation starter. Uh, another way I would say is to show up. Um, showing up for uh, whether it be uh, an event, uh, a person, a person like myself or others, uh, for each other. Uh, just showing up in this conversation really, really matters. Um, one, one other thing I will say is um, we do a really good job as Canadians of really highlighting some of, like I just did, of the atrocities of Canada's dark history and continuation of that. We do a really good job of highlighting the bad, and I think sometimes uh, what we need to do is we need to offer as much good as we do bad and celebrate Indigenous success stories, celebrate the resiliency that exists in Indigenous communities, celebrate um, the uh, amazing works of artisans in our communities, of uh, storytellers, of poets, um, encouraging um, this, I feel like it's a renaissance time of my peers, people my age who are who are coming at this and saying, you know, we, we, we are the prayers of our ancestors incarnate and we're here. And, and this is such an amazing time to celebrate those stories. Um, and I just want to say, I just want to encourage you that when you go in this, that you have permission. I, as an Indigenous person, implore you, I give you permission. The TRC states that tr reconciliation can happen uh, even as the church Maybe that's a point of shame for the church, but I encourage you, and I know I've spoken to, I remember speaking to the TRC commissioner at this event. I said, can we do this? Can church people do this? Are we even allowed? She said, yes. You are allowed. You are commissioned. Whatever we need to say, do this work. Mm. And I just, uh, I, if you haven't heard permission to be at this work, you've heard it here. And you can just reference, yeah, this is Dallas Kelly. And send him my email or something. <laughs> he said this. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, I just want to give you permission uh, to do this uh, risk-taking obedience together. Yeah. That's really good. Thank you, Dallas. Like, the, the idea of sharing Indigenous success stories, that really goes back to the whole thing about the danger of a single story. We talked a little bit about that last week, and it's true. We need to share multiple stories. There are many stories that we need to tell, not just one story. Um, I also really like what you said about just, you know, taking a risk. And sometimes, as Dallas said in this conversation, we get fearful we're fearful about what we're going to say. I, I, I've been fearful in this series. Oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. It's going to be inappropriate. It's going to be out of context. Am I honoring God in this? Like, let's step away from the fear and actually just take some risks. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to say wrong things, do wrong things. But just allow the grace of God to permeate this conversation so that we can actually take some risks and, and walk in that. So thank you, Dallas. Yeah. Dallas, before we, we're going to, Dallas and I are each going to just conclude in prayer. Before we do that, do you have any last closing comments you'd want to make at this time? I know Chandra's going to come up in a few minutes, a little bit later, and ask more questions, but. No, I just, I want to say thank you for, for listening, and for those of you at home for, for joining today, and just uh, uh, thank you for allowing me space, continuing, give me space to, to share, and uh, I'm just excited to be on this, on this journey with all of you. I invite uh, Brittany and Alex, if they'd come up, and uh, Dallas and I are just going to conclude in prayer. So Lord, we thank you so much for your blessing. We thank you for your incredible story of hope and truth and reconciliation that we see in the gospel. Thank you for Dallas and Shalice and their family. We pray blessing upon them. Would you encourage them? Would you give them their, your peace? And would you continue to use Dallas as a, a man of peace, a person of peace in this story, and a bridge builder? Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I just uh, I want to thank you for the ways that you have prepared us as a church, equipped us in this conversation, 
um, says in your word that, you know, that uh, you've gone before us and um, prepared us for this good work. And so thank you for the ways that you've been ahead of us. And your timing is so perfect in, in all of this. I want to thank you for um, just that word where that, that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. May, may we be rooted in that truth and be rooted in love and be rooted in, in, in the freedom that, uh, that Christ brings. And uh, I think about all of these issues and things that are swirling about even in this conversation, and I think of that word, uh, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, uh, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. And so, Lord, help us fix our eyes, uh, not on just the things that are, uh, turn, are here, uh, the temporal, but the things that are of you, because I think, uh, Lord, that there are things of this conversation that are so eternal. And uh, so thank you, Lord, for, for guiding us and help us move forward uh, in your time and in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.